You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. I don't believe that he was teaching that we should simply do nothing. Jesus was teaching nonviolent ways for oppressed people to take the initiative to affirm their humanity in which people at the bottom of society or under the thumb of exploitative domination systems, that they can demonstrate their humanity and call others to recognize their humanity. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. This is episode 296, and our title is A Primer on Self-Affirming Nonviolence Part Now, before we begin this week, I want to pause for just a moment and ask for your support. Renewed Heart Ministries is a nonprofit organization working for a world of love and justice, and we need your support to bring the kind of uh, resources and, and analysis that RHM provides. Intersections between faith, love, compassion, and justice are needed now more than ever. Help Christians be better humans. Please consider making a tax deductible donation. Renewed Heart Ministries today. And to do so, you can just go to our website at renewedheartministries.com and click donate uh, on the top right. Or if you prefer to, to make a donation by mail, our address is Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And to those of you out here out there listening that, that already are supporting this ministry, I want to say thank you. We could not continue being a voice for change without your support. Our feature text this week is in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I tell you, love your enemies. Jesus, I want to be very clear from the very beginning, this passage is challenging, but Jesus never taught passive non-resistance nor did he teach his nor do i believe that he he he, he taught his uh, he taught survivors a path of of self-sacrifice yet when we read this above quotation from matthew uh, matthew's gospel within our own context it sure sounds like uh, Jesus did teach those things. So what did Jesus teach? Jesus taught his followers the difference between violent retaliation and nonviolent resistance. And that's what I hope to show this week. And while some interpret this passage to teach passive non-resistance, I believe it teaches, again, nonviolent resistance. And there's a huge difference between the two. I also want to say that I'm indebted to the late scholar Walter Wink for his insights um, and his cultural research on on this section of Jesus's teaching, especially in the book Jesus and Nonviolence, A Third Way. It was published in 2003 uh, by Fortress Press, and, and Wink is dearly missed, and his influence, I think, will long uh, continue, especially for those who subscribe to, to nonviolence. Not, not only did Jesus teach the theory of nonviolence, but he gave us in this passage real-life examples of how to apply it, and, and he modeled his teachings throughout his entire life. So in, in Matthew 
again, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 39, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So what did this mean? In Jesus's culture, and this is important, the use of the left hand in interpersonal interactions was strictly forbidden. Since most people are right-handed, they only use the left hand for unclean tasks. To even gesture to another person with the left hand carried the penalty of exclusion uh, uh, and 10 days penance. And I'm going to put a, a, a reference in, in this week's e-site for this, but uh, you can see um, Garcia and uh, or, or Martinez and Watson in uh, Dead Sea Scrolls translated the Qumran text in English, 2007, page 11, but, but for evidence of that. But one could not hit someone's right cheek with the left hand. So one would also, and this is important, never strike in this society, in this culture, someone who was their social equal, someone who lived in the same social location. They would not strike an equal on the right cheek. A blow between equals it would always be delivered with a closed right fist and it would be to the left cheek of the other, assuming that they're facing you. Uh, the only natural way to land a blow with, with one's right hand on someone's right cheek was with a backhanded slap. And this kind of blow, it was intended as a show of insult from a superior to an inferior, from someone in a higher social location to someone in a lower social location. It would have been to, in that culture, a master to a slave. In that patriarchal culture, uh, a man to a woman, it would have been uh, the slap of an adult to a child or even a Roman to a Jew. It carried no penalty if it was done to someone of a, a, a lower social class. But anyone who struck a social equal uh, in this way it, it, with a backhanded slap, they risked an exorbitant fine, up to a hundred times the fine of common violence. For Zuz, which was a, a Jewish silver coin, was the fine for a blow to a social peer with a fist. But but uh, 400 Zuz was uh, the fine for uh, b backhanding them, back, a back, backhanded slap. And again, to strike someone who you viewed as socially inferior to yourself with a, with a backhanded slap, that was perfectly acceptable. And, and you can see Goodman in Jews and, and Greco-Roman World, published in 2004, page 189, a backhanded blow to the right cheek had the specific purpose of humiliating and dehumanizing the other. What did Jesus command the dehumanized victim to do? A, retaliate, a retaliatory blow, that would only invite retribution and, and set in motion escalating violence. Instead, Jesus told us to turn the other cheek, the left cheek, to the supposed superior, to be, to be stricken correctly as an equal. And this is important. When someone turned the offered the left cheek, they're, they're saying, you can hit me, but you're going to have to strike me as your equal, not as your inferior. This would demonstrate that, that the supposed inferior, they refused to be humiliated. And with the left cheek now bared, the striker would be left with two options, either a left-handed blow with the backhand uh, and, its, and its penalty for 
for using the left hand, or a blow to the left cheek with the right fist that would signify socially, uh, it would signify equality. And since the first option was culturally not an option, and the second option would challenge the striker's supposed superiority, the aggressor lost the power to dehumanize the other. For someone attacked in this way, turning the other cheek would be an act of nonviolent resistance. Whether it worked or not, that's not the point. The point is that Jesus taught non some form of nonviolent resistance here. Next, we read in Matthew 540, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your shirt, hand over your coat as well. A court of law constitutes the setting for, for this next injunction from Jesus. And many of the very poor of his day had only two articles of clothing to their name. And the law allowed for a creditor to take either the inner garment, the chiffon, or the outer garment, the hemation, uh, from a poor person as a, a promise of future payment. It was kind of like collateral. If they lacked the means to, 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 to pay a debt, then, then that collateral would then be forfeit. However, the, the wealthy creditor, it says that because they only had two articles of clothing, the law states that the creditor had to return that garment each evening for the owner to sleep in. This is Exodus 22, 25-27. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset because the cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. And this is Deuteronomy 24, 10 through 13. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbor to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return, look at their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. So, so and do this in Deuteronomy 24, verse 17. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. In that society, before the invention of, of remember, modern underwear, it was more shameful to look upon someone's nakedness than it was to actually be naked. Remember Noah's son, Ham, in Genesis 9, 22-23. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. Now, because of this context, uh, a, a debtor, someone who owed money, stripping off their chiffon if the creditor was suing for the hemation, or their hemation if the creditor was suing for the chiffon, uh, in a public court, that would turn the tables on the wealthy creditor, and it puts the poor person in control of the moment. And, and compare this with uh, Matthew 5.40 and Luke uh, 6.29, um, where if anyone wants to su sue you for your shirt, hand them the coat. And in Luke, if anyone wants to take your coat, hand them your shirt. Uh, a debtor exposing their body 
it would also expose the exploitative system and and it would actually shame it's as if it's as if to say shame on you it would shame the wealthy and the powerful person who took the last object of value from them remember shame belonged to the person who looked upon another person's nakedness not upon the one who was naked themselves so here jesus was endorsing public nudity as a valid form of nonviolent protest or or nonviolent resistance. It was an act of protest, and it was nonviolent. Jesus recommended nakedness in protest over returning violence for more violence. And then the third example in Matthew 5, 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Roman law allowed soldiers to conscript at will, those occupied and required them to carry their burdens for up to one mile. And the limit provided some protection, that one mile limit for the occupied people. In other words, if someone, if there was no limit, they could have you carry their burden all day long. And at the end of the day, you're a day's journey away from your home. So, so the one mile limit uh, protected uh, the person that was being conscripted. But, but, but if one followed Jesus's words and cheerfully carried a burden beyond the required first mile, it put the soldier making the requirement in an awkward position of not complying with the limits that were set for them, a limit that was imposed by their superior. And as a result, that soldier could end up being disciplined if the situation were made known. And and imagine the discussion between the Jewish Jesus follower and and the soldier who was a, a representative of the Roman power, deeply despised by the Jewish people for the entire second mile. Going the second mile would have placed the Jewish subservient in a position of power that held the soldier's attention. It would have at least challenged the soldier to recognize this person's humanity. And in these cases, Jesus's instructions, they were not commands of passive non-resistance. They were ways of putting nonviolent resistance into practice, enabling the the oppressed to, to affirm their selves and their humanity and place them in a certain position of power. Gandhi once said that Jesus, and this is from what Jesus means to me in 1959, page 18, uh, he, he, he said, he, Jesus has been acclaimed in the West as the prince of passive resistors. I showed years ago in South Africa that the adjective passive was a misnomer, at least as applied to Jesus. He was the most active resistor known perhaps to history. His was nonviolence par excellence. So, so now let's turn back to that phrase that's found at the beginning of these three examples in Matthew's gospel. I tell you, Matthew 5.39, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. This is the challenging phrase. The Greek word translated into English as resist in this verse is anthistomai, and this is important. It means to answer violence with violence, or evil with evil, like for like. It's an eye for an eye. Do not retaliate is is a, a far better translation. The scholar's version of the Bible translates Jesus's words as don't react violently against one who is evil. And the context of the statement 
it makes clear that Jesus was teaching non-retaliation. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, that, that's the phrase that precedes this do not resist. So what he's saying is don't let evil spread. Don't add more death to death. And you've heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Stand up against death by refusing to let go of life, by turning the other cheek, by stripping down to nakedness, by refusing to go only one mile and playing by the rules of your oppressors. Uh, he, he's saying, don't escalate the violence, go another way. Yes, Matthew's Jesus was teaching the rejection of violent responses to this world's evil. That part is clear. Yet I don't believe that he was teaching that we should simply do nothing. Jesus was teaching nonviolent ways for oppressed people to take the initiative to affirm their humanity and to expose and, and possibly neutralize exploitative circumstances. Jesus was teaching nonviolent ways in which people at the bottom of society or under the thumb of exploitative domination systems that they can demonstrate their humanity and call others to recognize their humanity. Jesus then concludes this instruction with what I think is the most difficult injunction of all. In Matthew 5.40, love your enemies. And we'll discuss this statement in more detail soon. This saying, I think, has been co-opted and used against oppressed people, and we need to understand it. Jesus' nonviolence was not simply a way to overthrow our enemies. And this is important. It also held open the option, and this is where that enemy love comes in. It held open the option for our enemies to choose to change. Jesus' teaching preserved the humanity of those whose humanity was being denied, for sure. Uh, and because of violent reaction to Rome's violence in the first century, it had a, a greater chance, violence had a greater chance of, of resulting in, in, in annihilation rather than liberation. Jesus offered a path toward liberation, I think, that included survival. So it held on to, once again, the humanity of those whose humanity, it preserved the humanity of those who, whose humanity was being denied, but it also refused to let go of the humanity of those that were doing the oppression. As Dr. Rita Nakashima Brock and Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker, they write in their landmark book, Saving Paradise, this is on page 13, Violence can beget fear, stalemate, annihilation, dominance, and more violence, but it cannot beget love, justice, abundant life, community, or peace. Through nonviolent resistance, especially the form that Jesus taught, I believe that followers of Jesus can witness to the truth that another world is possible. They can challenge the present social order that, that doesn't recognize their full humanity and create a, a unique opportunity to witness a new way of living, a new way of organizing and doing life. Th these are teachings that are specifically for those who hold a lower social location in society than the dominant culture. And, and rejection of violence, again, it ought not to be in interpreted as passivity. 
far from teaching non-resistance, Jesus' statements about turning the other cheek and giving also the outer garment and going the second mile, they all teach an assertive and confrontational nonviolence that that I believe provides an opponent with the opportunity for transformation. If one genuinely follows the instruction of Jesus regarding how to practice nonviolent resistance, the oppressed person, far from being a passive doormat, they can seize the initiative. They can confront the offender nonviolently. They can strip the offender of, of the power to dehumanize while, while challenging the offender to, to reject their own participation in larger systemic evil. And this, I believe, it was how followers of Jesus understood what it meant to follow Jesus for the first few hundred years of the Jesus movement. Remember the Jesus movement in the beginning was was of a proletariat class. That's kind of anarchistic to call, even call them that. But it was of a, of those in a lower social uh, location. And it, it it remember for them it was nonviolent resistance. It was not passive non-resistance. It was how they saw themselves as being part of of society's healing rather than part of its harm. And I believe Jesus saw this as a means of liberation and surviving to thrive in that liberation in the context of Rome. Before we can cover that material, though, before we can talk about survival versus liberation and, and all of that, I want to address first how we've uh, how what we've described here is really a means, and I think you can see it already, it's really a means of self-affirmation for the marginalized, not self-sacrifice. And that's where we're headed next, next week. Heart group application, what difference does it make to you to see Jesus as a teacher of nonviolence? And if you are a Christian, how does it affect uh, uh, both your understanding and your beliefs about eschatological events, as well as Jesus's own violent death? And then number three, how does it affect your practice in relation to others personally, as well as your opinion on how we collectively relate to others in both our social and political systems? Discuss each of these uh, with your group this week. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are, keep choosing love, compassion, action, and reparative and distributive justice. Another world is possible if we choose it. Don't forget, we need your support here at Renewed Heart Ministries to continue making a difference. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.